Hello and welcome to the Bell Mama Hypnobirthing and Positive Birth Podcast. My name is Ellie Waddington. I'm a hypnobirthing teacher, antenatal instructor and positive birth coach. And I'm here to help you go into the birth of your baby with a positive mindset. Every week I share my top tips, advice and amazing birth stories to help you go from fearful and anxious about your birth to positive and confident. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and let's get into this episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This week I'm joined by another guest. I'm joined by the lovely Hannah from the Contemporary Birth Company. She is a hypnobirthing teacher in South Wales and she's talking to us all about her journey with gestational diabetes. And I'm really, really excited about this one because there was a real gap in my knowledge when it came to gestational diabetes. It's not really something that I've had any experience with and that I have much knowledge of. And so I feel like I've really gained something from chatting with Hannah and I hope that you do too. I know there are lots of you out there that will be going through a similar sort of journey um, and you might be feeling a little bit anxious, a little bit scared about what's um, in store for you. So here we go. Here is Hannah talking to us all about gestational diabetes and her positive birth experience. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Thank you. Not bad. Enjoying the rainy weather in South Wales. Oh, was it rainy there as well? Yeah, but we had terrible weather this week. But yeah, fully, fully into autumn now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I'm in Northumberland and we've literally had like solid driving rain for like three days now. Um, The fields are all just completely like underwater, completely sodden. And it's kind of touch and go with the roads as well as to whether I can get to school or not. Um, And this morning I had Wilfred's Harvest Festival Assembly and he has been practicing these songs about combine harvesters and scarecrows so hard and so he was really really like nervous that we might not get to school but we got there and uh, I, yeah I got to listen to him singing about the uh, the scarecrows and the combine harvested oh um, that's so cute I know it really is <laughs> um so first off could you please just introduce yourself um who you are where you are what you do for the listeners for me yeah, so I'm Hannah. I'm in South Wales and I'm a hypnobirthing teacher. So I teach online and I teach in South Wales area as well. And I've got two children. One is two and a half and one is nine months old. She's currently on the boob right now, trying to keep her quiet while we talk. Yeah, that's where they're quietest usually, isn't it? 100%. <laughs> So you are here today to chat to us about your pregnancy um, and birth experience, you know, both if you want to or just one, um, and particularly your experience with gestational diabetes. Yes. Yeah, yes. So that's so... a really interesting experience for you. And there are lots of listeners that will kind of resonate with that and they'll be going through the same sort of thing. So this is a really great topic to cover. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I didn't realise how common it actually was. And it's actually on the rise, like the amount of women that are being diagnosed with it, which is a whole topic in itself. But um, yeah, it might be helpful for me to just go through a little bit about my experience navigating the the maternity system during pregnancy, because I think that's, that kind of leads into my birth story um, a little bit and how, how it kind of took that path. Does that sound okay? Absolutely. Yeah, because to be honest, this is a bit of a gap in my knowledge as well. So I'd absolutely love to be able to ask you questions so that then I can support the ladies that I work with, because I haven't come across this in any of my clients so far, but I may well in the future. So yeah, this is perfect. So start where whereabouts in your pregnancy did you get your diagnosis? Was it quite early on? 
So no, it was third trimester. So I um had my glucose test at 28 weeks and that was done because I am already at a higher risk of getting diabetes because I have polycystic ovarian syndrome okay. um, which increases the likelihood of you developing diabetes in pregnancy anyway so there's multiple risk factors of getting gestational diabetes and one of them is PCOS um, so I was routinely tested at 28 weeks and I had a phone call when I was 29 weeks to tell me that, um, so it was from an antenatal midwife and she said, oh, I'm really sorry to let you know that you do have gestational diabetes. Um, and I was, I was really in shock, to be honest, because on my first baby, I'd been tested as well and it was negative. Um, so I didn't expect it to come back as being um, a positive test. However, that was kind of the end of the conversation almost with her. The, the next thing she said was, yep, so at 39 weeks now, you'll be offered an induction. And um, yeah, you'll you'll speak to a consultant and, and they'll just tell you the dates that you're going to be induced. And I was obviously only 29 weeks pregnant at this point. So to be talking about induction at 29 weeks that was going to be scheduled for 10 weeks time when I hadn't I had no idea what gestational diabetes even was at this point but yet we're yeah. talking about induction yeah I mean um, that must so have been that... quite kind of worrying for you to literally be kind of faced with these big words and that was completely new to you at that point absolutely yeah I mean I knew at, at up to this point I planned a home birth so I had as soon as I found out I was pregnant even before I knew I was pregnant I knew I wanted a home birth for my second baby um so to then suddenly be told that, that you're not going to be allowed to do that you are going to have to be induced to 39 weeks it sent me into a huge panic um yeah. and obviously I'm a, I'm a hypnobirthing teacher so in that but in that moment I just, I did, like I said, I didn't really know what gestational diabetes was. I just heard your plan is changing. There is something wrong with you. That, that That's the end of it. It did still send me into a huge panic. It was only afterwards when I thought, hang on a minute, this woman doesn't know me. I'm a number on her system. She doesn't know anything about my personal circumstances. Me as a, a pregnant woman, she doesn't know anything about my baby. I'm not going to just take her word for it that this is going to happen. Yeah. Um, so she said, you know, you'll you'll hear in a week's time, maybe a bit more, you'll have appointment with a diabetes midwife. So there's this kind of period between finding out you have gestational diabetes and then speaking to any professional where you're just in limbo a little bit. So, you know, you yeah. you do a bit of Googling as you do and, you know, you find out, oh, your diet has to change. If you eat sugar, you know, it's going to send your glucose levels up and this is bad for baby. But you're obviously just trying to find out as much as you can off your own back so you have that week or more period like I know some women who've waited almost three weeks without any support or guidance so it can be a really stressful time not knowing what what on earth you're supposed to be doing with regards yeah. to your diet and what you should be changing and what you can do to to support your pregnancy in in that time so is it is a really anxiety provoking period when you get that diagnosis because like I said you, you kind of just left to wait for somebody to then get in touch later on you know yeah so you largely had to do lots of the research yourself in that time period yeah absolutely and you know I didn't really know what was a reliable source to be looking at at the time um, but when it came to having that appointment with the diabetes midwife I was met with immediate um sort of like a pessimistic attitude on what my outcomes were going to be um she said to me straight off you know 
you can try staying diet controlled throughout your pregnancy, but women tend to not be able to do that. So don't get your hopes up. Um, and I was like, oh, that's okay. an awful attitude. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a really attitude. awful thing to say. Absolutely. And it, it, it was, yeah, it was a really negative disappointing conversation because I thought you know I'd go into that and she'd give me advice on how to stay diet controlled like I thought surely they want women to stay diet controlled if they can you know some women will find it really really difficult to do that depending on you know your your personal um like insulin production and things like that but surely they want to give women the best chance of being able to do that so the guidance that I got given within that appointment was cut out sugar don't eat carbs if you fancy eating grapes try and limit it to one or two but I know that might be difficult for you really random like dietary advice I would not even call it advice to be honest um and don't drink don't drink coke don't drink cans of coke was the other one that's the other bit of advice and I was just like so okay what can I eat and she was like oh here's a leaflet here's some stuff on the leaflet just go home and have a look at the leaflet and just try try it out see how it goes um so in that appointment then you're given your um your glucose test monitoring device um your, your glucose level device and she shows you in the appointment how to do the finger pricks so I had to do it first thing in the morning to test my fasting glucose levels and then I had to do it an hour after every meal so to make sure that my glucose levels were in spiking after a meal So obviously being given really rubbish dietary advice, you're constantly worried about taking these tests because if you get three spikes in a row, they want want to put you on insulin. So she said to me, you know, there's there's a period in the beginning, we'll give you roughly 10 days to kind of get to grips with the diet and everything, which is really no time at all when you've had no support with that. And then if, so when you're taking the, your measurements when you do your finger pricks it goes through to an app that they get all the readings for so they can see it from where they are oh so my god if, yeah so if you get three spikes it flags up on their system and then you get a phone call through the app to say oh we've noticed that you've eaten too much sugar today we need to have a conversation about this like what's oh going on type that, thing yeah no that to me that sounds really like big brotherish it's like someone is literally it's very intrusive watching you. yeah, I, yeah. yeah no, I don't like that at all yeah it's very intrusive and you can you can ask for like phone calls yourself you can book appointments and things but yeah they can just they can see what's going on through the app and, and they can get in touch with you if, if there's any red red dots as we used to say or oh, red dots come up and you know and I did have some higher than I should have but mostly they were great I managed to stay diet controlled but that was only through my own research basically um so yeah from there um I met with multiple um professionals so like I said diabetes midwives diabetes consultants who all had the same opinion you know if I'd said to them look I'm still hoping for a home birth like I remember the diabetes consultant laughing and saying oh that's not gonna happen um and I thought all right okay why is that and she said you have gestational diabetes you're you're a high risk you you have a high risk pregnancy. You're classed as a high risk pregnant woman, and I was like, right, okay. And she was like, yeah, yeah, no, that, that's that's not going to happen. She said, who have you been speaking to? And I said, nobody. I said, I've done my own research. I said, I'm a hypnobirthing teacher, and she had a colleague with her at the time, um, and she turned and looked at him, and they both just kind of gave each other this look, 
when I mentioned hypnobirthing. So whether they have their own views on, on you know, women being able to speak up for themselves, perhaps. It sounds um, like that's really yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where it came from. So again, all of the appointments that I had up to up to you know that point were all so negative and just kind of left you feeling really crap to be honest like you you just felt so unsupported and like the whole system was just fighting against what you wanted and for some women they might not have the confidence to challenge that and or to know that they can even challenge it um you know I was a I was a a hypnobirthing teacher obviously so I knew that I had options I knew that I could um find information that would help me make the best decisions for me but a lot of women are not in that position are they and unless they find hypnobirth in themselves yeah absolutely so so did you um become a hypnobirthing teacher sort of after your first birth and what sort of an experience was that was that quite a positive experience you had with your first birth it was yeah so I found hypnobirthing after my first because I was petrified of birth um yeah. I was petrified of needles hospitals all of that thing so I just know that had I had my second pregnancy first it would have been hugely traumatic for me there's no way without hypnobirthing I would have coped in yeah. that pregnancy or that labor because when I talk about the birth in a second it was it was quite medicalized to be honest nothing to do with the diabetes weirdly um so yeah I had consultant appointments and the consultant again he said to me yep you definitely need to be induced for 39 weeks and again this I was around 30 weeks at this time um and he kind of just ended the meet, the appointment there he was like yep here's your notes back 39 weeks and I said oh hang on a minute can we talk about this in a bit more detail? Because I'm diet controlled. If I stay diet controlled, what are my options? And to be fair, he did then go into so much detail with me. We had a good 45 to 50 minute appointment. However, had I not asked the right questions, I wouldn't have had any of that information from him. It would have been a blanket 39 week induction. Let's let's just book it in now type of scenario. Um, He then said to me, you know, look, you're not, if you're diet controlled, you're not necessarily at any more risk of complications than someone who doesn't have gestational diabetes. He said, but hospital policy is that if you have diabetes, you should be induced before 40 weeks, which is so contradictory because, you know, he's saying to me one minute, you're not at any greater risk than someone who doesn't have diabetes, providing you can control your glucose levels. However, hospital rules say, regardless of that, you have to be di- you have to be induced because that's just our rule. So they are literally offering induction based on something that is completely contradictory to that. That's yeah, that's madness. Absolutely. What yeah, are the induction absolutely. rates in your um in your area out of interest? They're around forty percent. Yeah, it's similar um, to Northumberland. Which- yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty much like that across the board, isn't it? Usually somewhere between 30 and 50, and I know some are a little bit higher as well. Um, but yeah, you know, there was no discussion from his, on his part then around my individual case or my individual circumstances. Um, so I needed to know the right questions to be asking to get the information I needed to make my own decisions um, about how I was going to give birth. But, you know, I said to him, look, my my second choice would be 
to give birth on a midwife led unit and he said you're never going to find a midwife who will support you to give birth in that setting if you have diabetes now I, I knew again this wasn't the case because I had a, an amazing community midwife um, and I would recommend anyone listening who does have diabetes to stay in touch with their community midwife because I know you you tend not to get so many community midwife appointments if you're consultant led but I would push to keep as many as possible because they are you know spontaneous vaginal deliveries are their bread and butter and they want to support you to get that as much at least mine did anyway you know I don't know whether I just got lucky with mine she was amazing um but she pointed me in the direction of the consultant midwife um who then offered me a meeting about um an out of guidance care plan so that basically means that you are putting in a care plan that goes against the standard recommendations um, and we had an amazing meeting, went through all of the different pros and cons of being induced, not being induced, giving birth in the neighborhood, giving birth, giving birth at home. Um, and she agreed that she was happy to support a home birth. She'd be happy for any of her midwives to support a home birth or a midwife-led unit birth. Um, so it's really, really important that if somebody is <laughs> diagnosed with gestational diabetes, that they do look at all of their options and don't just rule them out because, the, you know, an obstetrician is saying this is our, our rule this is the hospital rule because it's it, you know it's not it's not as straightforward as that <laughs> yeah yeah so um can we just but, sort of rewind so, a little bit so you're saying that you sure. that the obstetrician didn't want to support a home birth or a midwife led because your class mm-hmm. is high risk but what are the actual risks of gestational diabetes what potential what potential risks are there that they're scared of so the main one that they recommend early induction is because you're more of a risk of having a big baby. Um, and the reason for that is because, I mean, let's let's take that with a pinch of salt as to what big baby actually means, right? Because um they will they will class any baby over eight pound eight as being too big to what? birth. Yeah, but yeah. That, that's a fairly standard size. I know so yeah. many people that have had eight and nine pound babies. Yeah, it's completely average, average size. Like if your baby's in the eight pound mark, you say, oh yeah, it's pretty average size for a baby these days. Um, however, because you have, so if you didn't have diabetes, you would that wouldn't be classed as a big baby or anything over nine pound is classed as a big baby if you don't have gestational diabetes. But if you do have gestational diabetes, they class anything as eight pound eight as a big baby. I have, I don't know why it changes just because you have this label. A big baby is a big baby. A small baby is a small baby, regardless of your circumstances. I would think. Um, however, their worry is that because of how so basically when you have gestational diabetes, you don't produce enough insulin to consume the glucose that's in your body. So when you have excess glucose in your body, it is passed on to your baby through the umbilical cord and what that means then is baby needs to develop more insulin to get rid of that excess glucose and when baby has more insulin in their system they put on more weight than a typical baby would right okay that that makes sense? sense so the extra glucose and the extra insulin that they're producing means that they gain more weight and they tend to gain the most weight if i if i'm getting this right i'm not an expert in diabetes but if i remember this rightly they tend to gain weight around their middle to upper area, so around their shoulders and their tummy. And what the what the worry is, is that baby's shoulders will end up being too big to be birthed through your pelvis if baby gets too big. 
Okay, right, so they're okay. worried. They're worried about something called shoulder dystocia, which is where the shoulder will dislocate when when the baby's being born. So what they typically recommend then is an early induction to stop baby getting too big to be able to be birthed without those sorts of difficulties of getting stuck. But but what's interesting in that circumstance is that they recommend induction to to reduce the likelihood of shoulders getting stuck. But one of the risks of induction is shoulders getting stuck. Yeah, yeah. So, and this is something yeah, that's so important when, when women are kind of offered induction, because it is an offer, it, you can always decline it, is always look at the risks that come within with induction, because do those risks kind of outweigh the, the positives of the induction? And I don't think people are given as much information and they don't know to look for that information. People don't kind of realise that um an induced labor is very different to a spontaneous labor yeah absolutely and what yeah well, like i said one of the one of the risks of it is is the baby actually getting stuck because they're they're being almost forced out of of your your body quickly more quickly than they would if it was spontaneous labor so they're recommending an intervention to reduce the likelihood of something when the risks of that intervention are the same if that makes sense. Yeah, so that's that's nuts. Yeah. That's completely yeah, nuts. It's, it, it, is, it is insane. When you really look into it, you think, I mean, and the, the hang on, I've got some, um, just an extract from like the WHO guidelines about this because, yeah, so the WHO guidelines state that women who have good glucose control should not be offered induction of labour unless other abnormalities are present. Um, and should labor, sorry, and labor should be managed in the same way you'd manage someone without diabetes. So they're basically saying the opposite as to what hospital guidelines are saying, in that, well, you automatically need to get induced 39 weeks. However, what the who is actually putting forward is you shouldn't be inducing somebody early for that reason if their glucose levels are managed. Because like like the consultant actually said to me, you're at no higher risk. If your glucose levels are in control and they are managed well, you're at no higher risk of having those difficulties as somebody who didn't have diabetes at all. So they, they've literally based you... an entire policy on something that goes against evidence. That's that's nuts. That's completely nuts. Yeah. And I, I, I said to him, even the NICE guidelines suggest that you should, even if somebody has, I, oh, I need to double check this. I don't know whether it's the same if you're insul- if you're on insulin. I'm not entirely sure of that. But the NICE guidelines in my circumstance anyway, because I was diet controlled as well, um, are that you shouldn't induce before 40 plus six regardless. It's not recommended prior to your 41st week. So he he wasn't taken into account the NICE guidelines or the WHO recommendations. It was just kind of this he had a chart on his wall and he kind of just scrolled up and said oh 39 weeks just diabetes ah yes induction is recommended you know it, it was just like this it was this blanket table on his wall um that he just referred to when I asked the question but to be fair you know like I said when I asked the right questions he did give me all the information he needed I needed and when I when I came back to him after seeing the consultant midwife and said look they're happy to give me an outer guidance care plan. They're happy to support um, a spontaneous labour at home. He was like, "Yeah, no, that's fine. If that's what they've suggested, then yeah, I support that." And I and I'm 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 happy for you to to sign you off, consultant consultant care, um, okay. which is a absolute U turn to that first appointment that I had with him. You know, and I had to, like I said, go through so many appointments. I had to do so much work myself to figure out like what was going to be the best options for me 
Um, the other, you know, it's not just about big babies, why they recommend induction. Like they, they'll say that, you know, there's, there's a risk of the placenta failing and things like that, just like they do when, you know, you go over 42 weeks, they'll say, oh, the placenta will automatically overnight stop working, which we know is not the case. It's, it's a lot of those similar um, recommendations. There's also a few um, potential risks to baby as well. Like they could have unstable blood sugar levels if your diabetes is not controlled. So they like you to be on a labor ward just in case you need to be, at, uh, the baby needs to go into NICU for anything or into intensive care. But um, again, a lot of that is still dependent. Sorry if you can hear baby in the background. It's <laughs> adorable. Um, so yeah, a lot of that is still really dependent on your own circumstances. So you have you have to weigh up all of the pros and cons for your individual case because I, you know, I was happy to keep baby at home and monitor glucose levels myself after she was born. And that is an option. Midwives will talk you through that as well. So, yeah. you know, it's not as clear cut as you might get told when you get given the diagnosis. And so, sorry, um, there, are, there are lots of women that obviously kind of don't question it and they do just accept the induction. Um, is there evidence with, with these women, is there evidence to show that that induction does reduce poor outcomes? Yeah, no, I have an extract of that here, actually. So there was, I never know how to say this word. Is it the Cochrane trials? Cochrane, that's what we're going to go with. Um, So in women who are diet controlled, so that one of the trials identified that there was no clear difference between the size of babies born to women who had diabetes who were induced versus those who waited for spontaneous labor. So there was no difference whether you were induced or not in in the size of babies. Um, and there was also no clear difference in shoulder dystocia either, or breathing problems in baby, or low blood sugar levels in baby, or babies being admitted into intensive care. So as long mm-hmm. as you are diet controlled, like I said, there's, n- there's no significant evidence to show that induction is beneficial in that situation. So it is slightly different if you have uncontrolled diabetes. Um, let me just have a little look if I've got something on that here. Um, you are so women who have abnormal glucose levels who might be insulin controlled are at increased risk of experiencing complications but there's still a lack of evidence to support induction so obstetricians are encouraged to look at individual mother and baby development and include the mother in all of our decision making which i think is the biggest i hate that can i say i really really hate the um including mother in the decision making like oh yeah thank you for including me in the care of my child like what no yeah (laughs) i hate that but um so that's really interesting that there is basically no difference in those outcomes that's absolutely based on based on this this specific trial anyway um another good resource is um dr sarah wickham's book on inducing labor and making informed decisions there's a whole section in there on um induction for gestational diabetes which is where i pulled a lot of that research from but um yeah you know there's quite quite a few resources out there that can help you make decisions on that yeah okay so shall we sort of move on then towards your actual birth story so what actually started to happen sort of towards the end of your pregnancy as you're approaching your due date? Yeah, so like I said, I stayed diet controlled throughout and um, I planned a home birth. Uh, like I said, my my birth pool was set up in my living room. It was just all systems go for home birth. Like, you know, I was 
discharged from consultant and it was fine. I was loving life with all of that. Um, and then when I got to, I mean, it's sod slow really, but when I got to 38 and six, I believe, um, my waters broke in the night and it was more of a trickle. I wasn't entirely sure if they'd gone, but yeah, we had a midwife out the next morning who confirmed that yes, your waters have actually gone. So let's just wait and see if labor starts naturally. Yeah, great, let's do that. So I waited around 24 hours and there was nothing. Um, and I thought, oh, look at this now. Like this is just typical. I've gone through all of this effort to avoid, you know, or to, to make sure I do have my home birth and everything. And now there's this huge curveball. It's nothing to do with diabetes. Um, so I waited 24 hours and then still no contractions. So then I spoke to the midwife again, who suggested that if I was happy to continue waiting, that she would advise, oh, hang on, let me make sure it's plugged in. She would advise um, me going up for ECG monitoring just to make sure the baby's heart rate was fine. And obviously when your waters break, but you don't have your contractions start, you're at more, um, more risk of developing an infection, which is obviously quite dangerous for baby. So we wanted to make sure that there was nothing like that developing. So we went for ECG monitoring and everything was fine. So I came back home and we were at 48 hours by this point, I think, post my waters go in. Um, and then I decided to wait just a little bit longer. I decided I was going to wait up to 72 hours because the the every day that you wait, the risk increases slightly. It's not a huge amount, but after 72 hours, it does increase a little bit more. Um so we went back the next day just for a little bit more ECG monitoring just to, again, make sure there was no signs of infection in baby. Um, and there wasn't. However, by the time I'd had all that ECG monitoring done, we were coming up to the third day. And I live 40 minutes away from the hospital. And they said to me, look, if you do decide to go down the route of induction, because my contractions hadn't started, we can book you in today, essentially. Um so we we did weigh up all of those options and I did say to them, look, if I get induced, I still want to give birth on a midwife-led unit. Um, the woman who was doing my ECG monitoring again was like, oh, that's never going to happen. You're never going to be allowed to go on to the midwife-led unit. Don't, don't even bother asking them. I thought, well, I am going to ask them. So when I saw the consultant and I said, look, I planned a home birth the next step for me is trying to give birth on a midwife-led unit. She was really, really supportive and she said, yes, we can make that happen as long as you are not on the IV drip for induction um, because that needs to be monitored on the labor ward. Um, so I said, okay, let's go ahead with a gel induction. So we tried that. Um, this was around three o'clock in the afternoon. I had the gel inserted. I was already one centimeter um, by that point. So they have to wait around six hours, I believe it was, before they can examine you again. Obviously, the more they examine you after your water's gone, the, the bigger the likelihood of you getting an infection. Um, so around six hours later, I was again examined and um, I, no, was I examined? I'm trying to remember what order things happened in now. Six, around six hours later, I remember a consultant coming out to me and saying, we can move you over to the midwife fed unit but as long as baby's heart rate is still okay. So again, that happened. We moved to the midwife fed unit. I was propped on an ECG to see if baby's heart rate was fine. So it's low, it wasn't. Um, her heart rate had increased a lot, which is a sign of infection. So we were moved to the labor ward. Um, and obviously during all of this, this was a huge curveball for me, obviously. Like I was planning a home birth, like I said, and... All of a sudden, I'm on a labor ward, which is 
absolutely crazy to be honest they there was it's just not the right environment um for giving birth i don't know you know if you've given birth on labor wards i don't know where your um where your babies were born my my first was but they had individual rooms it's, it's quite right. a modern center so it, it it felt like a midwife unit but it was a labor a labor ward with my first yeah okay. Yeah, so this was it was an induction ward. So there were six of us on there, all of us going through induction at the same time. So it was so busy. You were even allowed to have visitors at on on the ward. So you know, I was I was in labour. I was having surges at this point. Um, I found it extremely difficult to to zone out. It was because the yeah. environment was so busy, so bright, so chaotic to be honest um I could hear everything that was going on with everyone else around me and I found it very very difficult to stay in my zone like you know being a hypnobirthing teacher you've got every tool at your disposal but even that was it was really intense and it was the hardest part of my entire labor was just being on that induction ward um and I found that my contractions actually slowed down and they started to stop because of the adrenaline I was probably feeling at that time um so again we just had to you know I, I remember laying there I had earphones in the entire time I was on that ward I was listening to hypnobirthing tracks on repeat the entire you know through the entire period I had a jacket over my head to try and block out lighting just to try and get more oxytocin going to re build my contractions again um and when we, like I said when I got about six hours a consultant came and saw me and he said look your options now will be to either have the rest of your waters broken because when they examined me it was only my four waters that had gone so he said you can either have the rest of your waters broken and see if that pushes labor on further um or we can redo the gel or he said we can go straight to doing the IV induction which is what I wanted to avoid but in order to do the IV induction you have to have your waters broken anyway they can't do it without your waters breaking so we went over to the birth center and like I said they found that Olivia's heart rate was high so they wanted to do blood tests so again there's a lot of intervention that came after this so blood tests happened to check my white blood cells um like I said prior to this birth I was petrified of hospital needles birth so if this was my first experience I probably would have ended up in a C-section because I wouldn't have been able to cope. Um, but I was able to use all of the hypnobirthing tools that I could possibly think of to, if I'm honest with you, I can't remember any of those things really happening because I was able to stay in my bubble so much. Like I don't remember having bloods taken. I knew it happened, but I don't remember the process of it or feeling nervous or anything like that. Um, I had my waters broken. So the rest of my waters were broken and my contractions came back really quickly, um, quite intensely. Like I said, this must have been about 10 o'clock and she was born at about three, uh, 20 past three she was born. So I was taken from, I realise I'm jumping back and forth a little bit here. So I was taken from the midwife-led unit to the labour ward for her heart rate being high. So that's where I ended up giving birth. Um there was no pool available because somebody was using it. So I couldn't have access to that. So I needed to find other strategies. The midwife that I had was really, really amazing in going through my birth plan. So she 
knew how much I wanted a home birth, how much I wanted a pool, how much I wanted the midwife led unit if home wasn't a, wasn't a possibility. But she and the consultant sat down with me and went through every single element of my birth plan. They all had a copy. I must have taken about seven copies with me. They all had copies of it and they went through everything saying to me, we'll make sure this happens. We can get, we can definitely do this. We can take all of these elements that you wanted at home and make them happen on the labour board. And if I hadn't had such a robust birth plan that everyone was able to stay on board with and, you know, make happen for me, basically, it, would, it wouldn't have gone that way. Like, I wouldn't have been able to think straight with all of those things going on and to try and identify, yeah, okay, I, I, I remember speaking about this. Yeah, I'm happy for this. I'm not happy for that. I didn't have to do any of that thinking because it was all written down for me. It was all there. My birth partner knew everything that I wanted. Like, I had a section in there that was called, like, my non-negotiables. And I absolutely needed to be able to move around. So when they said to me, you have to go on continuous monitoring, I was like, Okay, I'm happy to go on continuous monitoring. Like I choose to, not because she's telling me to. Um, I choose to to have continuous monitoring, but you have to find me wireless monitors. I'm not being strapped to a bed. I'm not being strapped to a monitor. Find me a birth ball. Find me a peanut ball. Get me the continuous monitors. I'm happy to go with that. So we set up the labour ward with all my fairy lights, my um candles, everything like that to to get the environment to be a bit more conducive to oxytocin. Um. And I just remember, it's just, it's bizarre. Like I always imagined if I had to give birth on the labor ward, I wouldn't feel calm, but I was extremely calm through the entire process. And even though they kept saying to me, you know, all right, Han, can we just check in with you? That This has changed slightly. It, I never felt panicked at any, at any point. And there was such good communication between them and me and my birth partner. Um, they really did. They really did strive to make my birth plan as to the to the how I designed it as possible. Really, then that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's that makes all the difference. That's really, really amazing that they were willing to facilitate as much of your birth plan as possible, even though your birth did take a different path than you initially wanted. Yeah, absolutely. So she, because I had obviously been induced, and one of the things with induction is your contractions come a lot quicker and um stronger than than without induction when I was on the birth ball they found that her heart rate was dropping slightly because the interactions were coming quite intensely so they gave me an injection to slow contractions um and obviously I agreed to this because right so we had a conversation about whether c-section might be well I oh there was a conversation happening basically which is not ideal um you know if baby's heart level continues to drop they might need to be you know we might need to go for a c-section because it shows signs of distress in baby basically um so they said are you happy for us to give you a little bit of this um hormone injection to slow your contractions a little bit because baby looks like she's not quite coping with them i agreed to it um, I didn't have any negative side effects, nothing nothing major happened, but that's something people really need to consider because 
you know, if you do have an injection like that to slow your contractions, it can actually slow them too much, which then means they need to induce you even further to bring your contractions back. And that can be a, too much for your body and your baby to cope yeah, with. Yeah, this, so, this all sounds very kind of um, counterintuitive. They, they're inducing yeah. you to bring on contractions, but then the contractions are too much. So they're giving you something to slow them down again. Absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a lot going on in your body that your body basically hasn't been prepared for. Because, you know, people don't realise, I think, going into it that labor isn't just the day like your body is preparing for labor for weeks beforehand and all of that hasn't been able to happen so that's a lot that was happening to your body all in the space of kind of one day really absolutely so they they gave me a small amount of this um injection my I didn't feel that my contraction slowed at all they they said baby's heart rate stabilized so that was fine um it didn't feel like things slowed down to me everything just kind of continued as I was experiencing it um but I did say look if me being upright on this ball is maybe pushing my contractions to be a bit more quicker or more intense then I'll I'll let me change position I'm going to go and get on a lie down on the bed but I need you to find me a peanut ball because I don't want to be lying down yeah horizontally um and they did they got me a peanut ball um they alternate altered the bed so I was at an angle um so I had the peanut ball between my legs to make sure you know I could still stay as upright and open as I was able to which was great um then I said you know this isn't working I need you to find me another way that I can stay in this position but also you know be be as comfortable as, as me and baby need to be so they got me some stirrups I was able my legs up in like a one stirrup so I was kind of laying on my side I had my leg up on one side just to keep my legs uh, open um and that was fine you know like I said my husband the whole time I was in labor because I didn't have access to water I was doing light touch massage and that was an absolute game changer it was amazing people whenever I speak about it people are like oh that sounds weird I don't know my husband massaging me during labor I'll probably want him to be the other side of the room but he had to ask my permission to go to the toilet so many times because I was like no you can't leave yet you must keep going like keep doing the massage um so he was busting for a wee the whole time but just using strategies like that. Be, listen, like I said, I was listening to hypnobirthing tracks the entire time. Uh, Disney music on in the background. And even though I was in that environment and there were so many kind of medical things going on around me and, and happening to me, hypnobirthing allowed me to stay in this zone where that did not affect me at all, uh, which is bizarre for me because anyone who knows what I was like before, if a needle had even come into the building and I was aware of it, I'd been fainting on the floor. So it's it's insane that how much hypnobirthing can just change your mindset around birth and all of the fears that you have of even just hospitals as well, like being di diagnosed with diabetes and going through all of that nonsense and then giving birth in a completely different way than I expected to. But I still see Olivia's birth as more positive as my first birth because of how I felt about how in control I felt and how empowered I felt to have made those decisions myself. Yes, I agreed to induction. Yes, I agreed to my waters being broken. But because I made those decisions and I was like, yeah, okay, I'm happy to do this because I know the pros and cons of it. I felt so empowered and confident. And like I said, more positive about that experience than had I just been kind of left to the, the rules of the hospital then. Yeah, and I, I think that's in, like a really important point is that as, as hypnobirthing teachers, we do talk a lot about the, the risks of induction and the negative sides. And I want people to know that we are not against induction. We are against 
coerced induction we're against uninformed induction we're against unnecessary induction is that is that fair absolutely yeah and i all and this this birth has shaped the way i teach hypnobirthing now because i i thought you know i wanted to be the less advocate for like home births and water births and everything like that but i since having this birth i i know there are so many women who will say yes to an induction and i feel they are the women who need hypnobirthing more because when you say yes to an induction of labor, you have to know what you're going into or you are at risk of kind of being, well, I'm going to say it, controlled by the maternity system. Like being supported by a maternity system and controlled by a maternity system are two very, very different things. And if you have all the knowledge that you need to go into that and all the coping strategies you need to go into that induction, like, cause you might need it. It is often, it is sometimes medically necessary. It is oversubscribed, but sometimes it is medically necessary. Be in a position where you can still make that the best possible experience for you. Yeah. And I think it is kind of important to note that we have an amazing maternity system in the NHS in the UK, but you are a number. You are just mm one person going through that person's list on the day and all of the decision making all of the research all of the knowledge it is largely up to you as an individual to do that and to advocate for yourself and to make your own decisions absolutely yeah and like I said if you don't ask the right questions you often don't get given the information that you need so it is ironic really that I did all of this research to not be induced to 39 weeks and I got induced to 39 weeks but for a completely different reason that was unrelated to diabetes but again that could happen to anyone too like you will anyone's waters can go and you're faced with a, a decision to make in the next 48 72 hours am I going to accept induction and by that point if you haven't done your research on induction and to how to make that positive it's going to be too late to, to wait until then you know you need to be preparing for the possibility of an induction much earlier in pregnancy yeah and that's also the importance of a, of a properly researched birth plan as well as that you had made all of these decisions mm. and all these scenarios you'd made those decisions beforehand so that you weren't left kind of in the moment like racing through your mind trying to make decisions on the fly absolutely yeah and there would have been so many decisions to make it would have been hard to do that in you know the, the frame of mind you need to be in to make those decisions like it, I, those decisions had already been made because I'd thought about it before yeah, and that was largely for me what made my first birth such a traumatic experience was that I I stuck my head in the sand and I didn't do any research about anything. And I ended up in hospital making all these decisions, you know, when I was exhausted and scared and in pain. And there were a room full of strangers kind of leaning over me with like the instruments already out, like, do you have, give us permission to do this? Like, I'm not wow. going to say no or ask for facts and figures in those moments, am I? And so, I, yeah, you you have to make those decisions ahead of time um, and do your research ahead of time. Otherwise, you you do leave yourself open to a traumatic experience. Yeah, and you you make decisions made out of fear when you're when you're put in that circumstance. And making a decision out of fear is often when you look back and think. Could that have happened differently if I wasn't scared in the moment and had this had this suggestion put on me without giving me a chance to think about it? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of back to your birth. So where where do we get up to? So you're now in labour on the labour ward. When did you start? Did you experience transition? 
Yes, I did. And I remember it um, very clearly. In fact, my husband loved him. He had, oh, he did so much research himself. And he's, um, yeah, he he knew that I was in transition at that point. Like he'd, he pointed out, you know, oh, I think it's close, mine. I think it's happening. You know, I think it's not going to be long because I remember being, like I said, on my side. I think at this point, my foot was up on a stirrup and I had gone from just chatting in between contractions. I was talking about like hypnobirthing to the midwives and everything. And then I remember just like, I could not speak to anybody. I couldn't, um, it was just, I got to stay completely in my space, in my zone. It just took over entirely. And I knew my first time around, I didn't know that I was in transition from honest. Um, but my second time around I did. And it is intense, obviously, um but yeah I I like I said I just continued to use the hypnoperson strategies during that I thought that I was close to needing to push and I remember saying I, I think I can feel her head coming down a little bit and it wasn't through me pushing at all I remember just kind of feeling like as if I can't describe it. Like I remember feeling like uh, as if I felt a movement inside me. Um, and I remember the midwife saying, oh, shall I examine you to see if you're close? And I said, no, thank you. I said, there's other ways you can identify if I'm close, basically. And she said, OK, OK, no worries. And then she said to me, I'm just going to look at your bum. Do you know what I'm looking for? And I didn't. And I was like, no, why is she looking at my bum? Um, but they look for um, a little blue line that goes like up down your um kind of down your bum crack isn't it from yeah, the coccyx yeah. to your bum crack and she said I'm looking for that line that's one way I can identify if you're basically 10 centimeters so and that's a lot of things a lot a lot of women don't know about that either is that you think what well, the only way to identify if I'm close to pushing is by having a vaginal exam which can again send lots of adrenaline through your body and things like that but so you know I said no 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 don't don't examine me find another way to to, to figure it out and she's like okay I've got another way Let, let's do let's do that instead um but also yeah, I'd like I, to I, make a point there is that you like you you should be able to trust your own body I I kind of I this thing where midwives need to know that you're close mm -hmm. to allow you to push you know to encourage you to push like I think that that takes away a little bit of the woman's power because you you should be able to be kind of in tune with your own body and feel those feelings and you say yeah. you know you, you felt the the head kind of coming out a little bit and I I remember feeling that at my second birth like um I describe it as it literally felt like she fell out of my womb and into my vagina like I just suddenly felt her like there and it was the most bizarre yeah. feeling um <laughs> And, you know, I, I didn't need anyone to examine me or tell me that I was ready to push. Well, I was like, OK, well, this is happening now, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I I remember the sounds I was making when I was in transition, that twigged to me, yes, I am in transition now. And I think that's what twigged to my husband as well. But um, she was like, oh, the sounds you're making sound a little bit pushy. I think, you know, you might be you might be getting there. And I was like, I, I know she's coming now. She's going to be here in a minute. Um. But then, yeah, I just remember flipping up onto all fours and I didn't say anything to anyone. I didn't say like, oh, she's coming or I need to push or anything like that. I just know that they knew my sounds changed, my my movements changed. And yeah, she was born, I think it was around 10 minutes of, of kind of, and it wasn't pushing even. You know, I know people will say, oh, how do you possibly breathe a baby out? But it's it's intentional breathing, isn't it? And it's hard to kind of describe that unless, unless you know you're actually practicing it but it was intentional breathing into the stomach and I remember doing that and thinking oh I'm actually 
breathe in or out. Like I'm not forcefully pushing. Nobody's had to say to me, push your baby or push now or hold your breath or the, the famous one they say isn't it is chin to chest and hold your breath and push um none of that was needed um yeah and there was no tearing no stitches it was nothing at all she just came out and I remember being on my knees and weirdly and it must have been because of my first baby but when she was born I had this instant feeling of relief and almost forgot that like I had a baby now. So like they said, oh, open your legs. She's here. And I was like, oh, of course she is. Yeah. So they passed her through my legs. And yeah, it was just like the, I burst into tears. It was just overwhelming feeling, which was very different to my first birth. Even though the labor was positive, I found the birth itself very difficult. Um in that I was told chin to chest, hold your breath and push. Um, and I found that quite traumatic. Um, and then after she was born, she was taken away because she didn't breathe properly initially. They had to take her for oxygen. So I didn't get her. It felt like hours, but it was probably about a minute that I didn't get her on the first on the first baby. So I think when Olivia was born and I pushed her out, I almost forgot that they would just pass her straight to me yeah. um, in the moment. But yeah, so she was born and obviously because of the diabetes, they needed to call a pediatrician in just to check her over and make sure her um she wasn't showing any signs of, of jaundice and or you know, they had to check her blood sugar levels and stuff like that. So I had her on me for around it's a good half an hour, I would say. Um, and then after that was when my husband kept the cord the pediatrician came in and just popped it on a little desk we kept all the environment the same it was still really dark we had dim lighting um it was just really calm and relaxed they popped it on the little table checked the glucose levels which were which were absolutely fine um because they do worry about babies glucose levels if you have diabetes um, yeah, she was absolutely fine. We had three glucose tests over 24 hours and they were all absolutely stable. So there were no problems at all. And again, I think that's because my diabetes is so controlled um, that there was no issues with her. And, and that's another thing to consider. If you do have diet controlled diabetes, the risks to baby are not what they would be if you were on insulin. So that's another thing to to think about when, you, when you're considering where to give birth if you do have diet-controlled diabetes, because it doesn't wow, have to be a label. Yeah. yeah. For those reasons. And am I right in thinking that with gestational diabetes, once you've had the baby, that then completely disappears? Yes. Yeah. So as soon as you birth a placenta, um, the diabetes is gone. You do need to have just a follow-up blood test 13 weeks after the baby's born just to make sure you don't have diabetes. And if you do, it's likely that you had undiagnosed type 1 diabetes before you were pregnant right. um, that they just didn't know about. But yeah, otherwise, it just disappears. So I had my 13-week test, no diabetes present. Um, but you do need to go for yearly blood tests just to make sure you don't develop diabetes in the future because I think you're you're more likely to develop type 2 diabetes later on. Right, um, okay. Or there's a um, little bit of a higher risk. And you said that you were at a slightly increased risk of diabetes anyway, but am I right mm -hmm. in thinking that anyone can get gestational diabetes? It's, it's yeah. random and there, there's no, it's not related to lifestyle necessarily um or anything else you know, that you associate with diabetes 
No, there's a big stigma around diabetes. So a lot of people think it's because you ate too much sugar and it's because you have a poor diet. So I remember telling a couple of my friends that I had gestational diabetes, I'd been diagnosed and one of them said, oh, is that because you've like eaten too many biscuits and things? (laughs) And I was like, probably have eaten too many biscuits, but no, it's unrelated to that. So it's it's just down to the the function of your placenta Um, because your placenta makes you um, a bit more insulin resistant anyway. and But if you have a condition on top of that that makes you insulin resistant, like PCOS, the the addition of being pregnant can just exacerbate that a little bit further. So, which is why you're more at risk of getting diabetes. Okay, wow. Yeah, no, I'm really glad that we had this conversation. So to say there was, that that's a big gap in my knowledge. So I feel like I can now kind of support any clients of mine that do have gestational diabetes in the future, if if and when that happens. Um, so did you have a managed third stage of your birth as well? We haven't talked about that. Did you have a managed third stage? Yeah, so I had the um, the injection and I chose to have that because induction increases the likelihood of, um, of a big bleed after birth. Um, so I chose to have that just to reduce any risks around that. Um, and that that all that all went smoothly. But again, there's lots of reasons women wouldn't have um uh a managed, they'd rather have a physiological placenta delivery. But yeah, the the second time second baby, I don't know if you had the same, but I found the the surges for the placenta being delivered were a lot more intense on my first and the after the after pains were a lot more oh intense my God, on yeah, my like, first as well. I think like, you know after pains were thing, that I didn't know about you know? <laughs> I didn't on my first. And then afterwards I was like is there another baby that I'm unaware of that I'm going to, am I going to give birth again? Cause they can, they were intense. Yeah, I know. And actually with, with my second for like several days afterwards, every time she latched onto the boob, I'd get these after pains. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> like, it, it made me think like, I don't want to put her on the boob right now. Cause he's after pains. <laughs> it feels like a whole different labor. 100%. Yeah, no, I didn't even know after pains were a thing to be honest until my, my second. That was mad. <laughs> sorry if this has been a bit chaotic as well olivia was meant to stay asleep for this whole thing but she's she woke up quite early on into it she's been pretty good to be fair but i've had my eye on her at the same time yeah no this is a part of being a mum isn't it like you have to take your kids with you to so many different things and like whenever you're Mm. making plans you have to say I'll have the baby with me. Is that okay? And it doesn't yeah, matter yeah. if it's okay or not because the baby's coming anyway. So. Absolutely. And this one's a koala baby. She's like made of Velcro. I can't put her down usually. So this is the fact that she's even on the floor right now is a treat. <laughs> I was just thinking how much hair she has. Her hair is she's beautiful. Loads. Yeah, she's got loads of hair. It's past her shoulders and she's only nine months old. It's bizarre. And she has crazy black eyebrows as well. So she's like, she looks like a three-year-old, but just miniature. Oh, bless her. Oh, well, thank you so much for talking to me today about gestational diabetes and your birth story. I know that you've got to go and pick up your other little girl from nursery very soon. So I'm going to let you get away now. Um, Do you have any kind of final words, any final messages for anyone listening to this episode of the podcast um, about gestational diabetes or hypnobirthing or anything in, in general? Um, yeah, I would definitely say that if you do have gestational diabetes, then please don't just assume that you've done something wrong in your pregnancy or that your options are now completely limited because there's still so many options available to you. And absolutely, you know, please just do 
a, a course or educate yourself in in some way around what what how you can support yourself in in, in inductions or births or whatever it might be and and just to make those decisions um as informed as possible you know just so you feel confident speaking to obstetricians and things like that as well it's really really important amazing amazing thank you so much hannah i really hope you enjoy the rest of your day yeah you too thank you so much